Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. This is take two because take one involved moving into the living room because the lighting is, the sun is setting at like 3 p.m. Jason was over there, and I've actually, I always record by myself in a room where Jason is not, and I felt very weird, so I made him move. Anyways, we're starting over again. Welcome back. How are we all? Um, just some housekeeping things to go over before we get into this week's five books. First of all, if you have not already checked out my interview with Tom Bojor, the co-author of Nothing But a Good Time, please make sure you check that out below. All things 80s hair metal and hard rock and, you know, all that fun stuff. Cool anecdotes about his time interviewing over 200 people for the book who we're all alive and part of the scene in the 80s, so check that out if you have not already. Another thing that is coming up, maybe, if I get my shit together, um, a featured-themed episode. I recently showed Jason Titanic for the first time. I'm sure if you are a teenage girl who grew up in the early-mid-2000s, um, I first... I let me backtrack. Titanic came out in the late 90s, I believe 97. I was only three years old at the time, so I was probably a little too young to see it. Um, however, I experienced it for the first time in seventh grade, age 13. Whew. Jack Dawson, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, I already knew who he was, but really just cemented himself in my heart. I'll never let go, Jack. Um, the love story itself has not aged as well as the actual reconstruction and history behind the Titanic, which I am interestingly, not so interestingly or surprisingly, um, more interested in today than I was at age 13. That all being said, I was about to start off this episode with a quiz all about Titanic, the movie, and producer Jason was like, well, that doesn't really make sense. That has nothing to do with reading. And I was going to find a way to like tie it in, but I then he had a great idea of why don't we do a Titanic-themed book? episode. And I think there may have been one book that I have talked about on this um, podcast that talks about Titanic. Um, but other than that, I have not. And I know that there's actually quite a few children's books. Um, OGs may or may not remember the Magic Treehouse series. So if that is of interest, please let me know. Leave a comment below. If there's any books that you've read, they can totally be from your childhood. They can be from recently that deal with the Titanic, either peripherally, ideally um, more in focus, whether that's on the Titanic or about the history of the Titanic or, you know, someone who is recounting part of the Titanic or the Titanic has an impact on the story, let me know and I'd love to feature that. And before we get started into this week's five books, I do want to do just a fun little quiz to get things off. Um, as always, to, to get things off, yikes. To start things off, as always, that quiz will be linked below. Um, this quiz is what kind of book lover are you? I would love to know the answer. So the first question we have is, where do you most like to read? Our options are anywhere and everywhere. You always have a book with you wherever you go. In bed, you can't sleep if you haven't read a chapter first. On public transport, even if you didn't get a seat. On holiday, you love reading, but it can be a bit tricky to fit into daily life. I think y'all know the answer. Um, while I do strongly love reading in bed, especially right before falling asleep, I, you know, anywhere and every go, always bring your Kindle, A-B-Y-K. Each month, you try your best to read one book. <laughs> you try your to pick up a new book each month. Two books. They are carefully selected and always enjoyable. Three books. You wish you could read faster because you have so many to read. Four plus books. You often, you're often found reading when you should be doing other things. Both of those are true. Not only do I read four plus books a month. Um, in fact, I read four plus books a week. It's probably an off week if I've only read four books. And yeah, I'm often reading when I should or could be doing other things. But reading is so much fun. Which quote best represents how you feel about books? So many books, so little time. Frank Zappa. Eating and drinking are two pleasures that combine admirably. C.S. Lewis. We read to know we are not alone. William Nicholson. 
read as much as you can. J.K. Rowling. Yes, that one didn't age as well. I think we're going to go with so many books, so little time. Your friend has cracked the spine of your book. Do you feel inconsolable? It's the worst thing you could do to a book. Happy. Well-read books are well-loved books. Not bothered. You're always accidentally cracking the spines. Or for annoyed as it was your favorite edition. I think if it was my favorite edition, I probably wouldn't lend it out to someone just because I would be very protective and not want them to ruin the spine. However, I'm particularly clumsy. Um, That's not the main reason I read on my Kindle, but but it is a big um, perk. You know, don't have to worry about getting the pages wet or cracking the spines or some chocolate or something on it. So I think I'm fine with it if I accidentally crack the spine or you do. It's all good. The book you're reading ends on a surprising cliffhanger. Do you pre-order the sequel when you next visit a bookshop or add it to your Goodreads to be read list immediately? Lend the book to a friend so you can discuss the exhilarating plot. Shrug and choose a new book. More stories await. Throw it out of the window. You can't stand cliffhangers. So I think for the sake of the quiz purposes, I'm going to say shrug and choose a new book. More stories await because I'm always on to the next thing. But I do think that I would also add the next book to my Goodreads shelf to want to read if it was already out or if the information was out. And I don't know if I would lend the book, especially if I didn't have the physical copy, if I only had a library book. But I think that I would definitely at least recommend the book to a friend if I felt like that cliffhanger ending was like something I definitely needed to talk about with them. It's a fellow bookworm's birthday. What kind of book do you give them? You're not sure what they enjoy, so you choose a book that inspired a film you both love. You prefer to gift a national book token with lots of books wreck, book wrecks. You know exactly what they'll love. It's by their favorite authors. One of the best books you read recently, you have a spare copy. So I kind of feel like if I'm getting a book for somebody, even if they're a bookworm and I don't know them that well, I think I would choose one of my favorite books because I read so many things. If it really stuck out to me and I really liked it, I would want to share that love and that story with them unless I knew it was a type of genre that they really didn't like to read. Your favorite kind of bookshop is a large bookshop that you can get lost in for hours, a charming and cozy bookshop that smells absolutely divine, any bookshop with expert booksellers that you can chat with for ages, a local friendly bookshop with a coffee shop. Well, my favorite actual kind of bookshop, I guess, um, would really be a charming and cozy bookshop that smells absolutely divine. I mean, I unfortunately do not go into physical bookstores very often, if really ever anymore, but when I rarely do, it's a charming and cozy one. All right, we're almost done. A book must contain a page-turning, fast-paced plot, fine, eloquent prose, and well-written characters, a stunningly beautiful cover that you'll want to keep forever, or all of the above. I mean, ideally, it would have both a page-turning, fast-paced plot and fine, eloquent prose and well-written characters. That's really hard to marry together. Um, I think I will, however, choose the nothing really happens, but everything happens sort of prose, well-written character type book. You know what I'm talking about. Ebooks are, I think you will know the answer to this one, just a fad. You can't lend them to people, so what's the point? I do agree with the gripes on this one, though. Genius, a library in my hand, perfect for traveling. Paper books, ebooks, hardbacks, I don't care, just let me read. Nothing like the real thing. What about my beautiful books? I mean, it is all genius. It is frustrating that I can't lend it to people, but I got to say, you know, I don't care. Just let me read. How tidy are your bookshelves? Perfectly neat and organized. You can always find the book you're looking for. Very tidy and books sit next to your favorite DVDs and trinkets too. They're a mess. Bookstacks are toppling everywhere. You need another one. Do you mean the one in the bedroom or the living room or the hallway or... There's a, t- there's a mix because I wouldn't say they're super tidy. I mean, they're pretty well organized, but they definitely have some trinkets and other DVDs. But there's also, like, I'm already running out of space with them. So I think I have to go with a chaotic mess. So they're a mess. So let's find out what kind of book lover I am. Moment of truth, people. Dun, 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 dun. 
did I miss a question? What was the answer? Where's where's my answer? Maybe I missed a question. It's not telling me the answer. This is oh suspense. Yeah, I didn't answer the four books a month. Da, 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 da. Okay, here we go. Suspense is killing me. I am the book hoarder. No surprise there. You love nothing more than a new book, especially if it's a beautiful edition. Your home and Kindle are filled to the brim with books, but you just can't seem to stop buying them. You love the smell of books, and a perfect day out for you is spending time in your favorite bookshop. But there's no way you're lending a book to your best friend again, not after they dog your your favorite series. No surprises there. Let me know what kind of book lover you are. Speaking of loving books, our first book that we are talking about is Survival of the Thickest, Essays by Michelle Buteau. You probably have seen something Michelle Buteau is in. You probably most... If you're friends with me, have seen The Circle because I love The Circle and I can't stop talking about it in one of the best reality shows on Netflix. She is the host and the wonderful voice behind all the drama um, on The Circle. So that's definitely where I know her the most from. She's also um, a supporting, has a supporting role in the Netflix rom-com Always Be My Maybe. She um, has her own stand-up specials. She has a reality TV show, which I didn't even know about. Um, there's a lot more to her. Then more than meets the eye. She's also a friend of the podcast, My Favorite Murder, um, and went on their podcast recently to talk about one of her hometown murders. And that's where I found out that she has this collection of essays. So she's a really wonderful woman. She grew up in Jersey. She always knew um, that she wanted to be a comedian. She, uh, just kidding, she did not. She um, she started actually out as a newsroom editor and the events of 9-11 changed her life dramatically. And this book is not super heavy and super serious by any means, but I do think for something that you you know, from a stand-up comedian does delve into some deeper aspects about trauma in the sense that it's not like a deep dive into trauma, but it shows how these large everyday events that, you know, we sort of look on as a page in the history book, whether or not, you know, you personally were involved in it, it's something that everyone is, is in the cultural lexicon is important historical moments, to, but to literally be boots on the ground having discovered that, um, the way it not only impacts you in sense the sense of trauma, but also the different ways it can take your life on. So she deals with that. There's also, I mean, she talks about her how she made it into stand-up, you know, the the long and winding road amongst that. She touches a little bit on what it's like to marry someone who is Dutch, which I found really funny. I didn't know much about her husband. I didn't, you know, I didn't think I knew she was married, but she is married to a man she met in the Netherlands. That's where the Dutch people are from, right? Um, so how they sort of navigated their long-distance romance and cross-cultural cross-cultural and multicultural, multi-country romance. So there's just a lot of fun essays in here too. Well, it does sort of follow the trajectory of her life from growing up to her career path to becoming a stand-up comedian and some love life and IVF and becoming a mom. Um, I think you can definitely read these essays, you know, pick it up, read an essay or two before bed, read an essay or two um, when you're at a holiday event and everyone's just annoying you and you want to sit in the corner and that just me. No, okay. Uh, yeah. Next book that we're talking about is Bewilderness by Karen Tucker. This is definitely a heavier book. It deals with addiction. It deals with two young women who are in the throes of addiction. They are best friends. They are in rural North Carolina, and they are addicted to heroin and opiates. Um, it's really, while it is this dark subject matter, you can tell that the love are two young women, Irene and her friend Lucy, have for each other is so beautiful, but also it's so painful. It's like that kind of dependency that, like, their friendship almost is a drug stronger than the heroin itself. So not only does it deal with the heartbreaking portrait of addiction, specifically these two young women who are just trying their best to find their ways, um, but because of the circumstances that they're in, because their settings sort of just allow them to easily fall into this drug pattern, 
it's a lot harder to break away. Um, I will say that one of them does break away, but whether or not they stay sober, whether it's, you know, the friendship is really the heart of it. But like I said, it's a really beautiful, bittersweet, painful friendship because you also know that realistically their lives would be a lot better if they weren't in it, but they're so enmeshed at this point. And Karen Tucker does a really great look at talking about how, you know, those friendships are sort of the relationships that can be more important than anything romantic. Those young female friendships definitely had um, a lot of elements of the movie 13 to it, not in the sense of (laughs) um, there's definitely more like drug stuff versus like coming of age stuff, but it is that sort of, again, intense female friendship that is really indescribable but comes alive on the page here speaking of females and female relationships that are complicated next we have girl one by sarah flannery murphy so our main character josephine morrow is known as the titular girl one because she was the first baby to be born without male like sperm basically her mother was impregnated through um, ex- some some sort of like random, not random. There's a scientific experiment going on where they're trying. Women are somehow able to get pregnant without men or male DNA. The science behind that not as important as what actually happens. So there's nine or ten. There's nine different women who participate in this study who have nine different children. So we have that study that we know has happened. That we know happens now in present day, which is really the 1990s, because the study took place in the 70s. Because I just don't think that this the author was <laughs> very aware that this kind of study could not happen today. A lot of the um, ethics and operations are were very blurred in a lot of studies back then. And I think even though this is a fictional one. You're dealing with um, people's consent. It's very quickly revealed that the experiments, especially the the man who helped test them and the doctor, um, is a lot more complicated than it seems. Uh, we meet the girls when they are, you know, they're I think 19 or 20, and they're late in their late teens, early 20s. Um, so all the girls are sort of living their own lives, you would think, and doing great, except for the fact that. Excuse me, I know Jason said I probably shouldn't take a water break for a very long pause in the middle of a segment, but sometimes your throat just gets so thirsty. Anyways, it's sort of described as Orphan Black meets Margaret Atwood. I think that's a very good description because we have that more sci-fi fantastical element, not only with the the way the girls are born, but the fact that just like the different clones that become friends in the show, which fantastic show if you have not seen, the way that the different sisters, uh, or I guess... Spoiler alert, sisters, because they're all the male scientist used his DNA because they were conceived without male DNA, but they still had to have some sort of chromosome. Or did they? Who knows? Um, So it's about, you know, what it means to be a woman, what it means to have grown up in a certain environment. Um, And there's a lot of thriller elements, too, because the the way the reason this all kind of comes to a head is. Girl One's mother is missing, and that leads her down the path of exploring all these childhood secrets and past things that are coming up to the surface. Next, we have My Body by Emily Radigowski, and I probably am saying that wrong, but you probably know her as the girl from the Blurred Lines music video, um, And but she is so much more than that. She is a beautiful model and actor. She also had her like main acting debut in Gone Girl by David, you know, the not by Gillian Flynn, but the David Fincher film. And this is just a really, really captivating book about what it's like not only to be in the industry and to be looked at from the male gaze, but to 
explore the power behind one's body um, from someone who also is objectively and subjectively so beautiful but also deals with a lot of struggles and pain too. And it's not like, woe is me, look at me, I'm so skinny and pretty and beautiful. It's a lot of, you know, how society as a, as a larger concept is obsessed with women's sexuality and with the male gaze. And she's very raw. And while she does, you know, talk candidly about her, you know, her own body and her own issues with image and the media, I think there's a lot of larger issues too that make this really timely. Again, um, while it sort of follows her life and, her experience with her body from birth to now, because we've been living in our bodies our entire lives. It's the sort of book that you could definitely pick up, read an essay, definitely a little bit darker, a little bit more um, grittier than Michelle Buteau's essays. Not to say that those weren't raw and gritty, but I think these are a little, um, a little more subversive and pervasive rather than, um, you know, it's, it's a little unexpected. I don't think I would have ever expected this beautiful girl woman to have written this, but not to say, what does that say about me? I don't know. There's a lot in there. But um, it is nuanced and it is very, um, very easy. Not easy. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff sticks with you, but a, a powerful read for sure. And speaking of powerful reads, last but not least, we have Doctors and Friends by Kimberly Martin. And so I'm really glad I read the. I almost always like read everything in the book, like the disclosures, the acknowledgments, everything. But there was an author's note that this book was written before the COVID-19 pandemic. If I hadn't known that, I would have thought there is no way because... Again, I read books that dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic that were written before the pandemic, came out during the pandemic, all all the gam, run the whole gamut. This, I believe, came out in, no, it just came out a few weeks ago. It deals with, again, a worldwide pandemic virus. This time it's a little bit different than coronavirus, though. It's a lot more deadly. It's a lot more fast acting. So we deal with the beginnings of that virus. We deal with the aftermath, but back and forth in different time periods primarily focusing on a few different women, um, but this larger, the small group of women is expanded by a larger group of women. So there's one woman who works at the CDC, there's one woman who's an OBGYN. So we not only get the more medical perspective of what the plague means, but we also get the emotional perspective. We get how these different women in different situations deal with it differently. Um, if you know somebody who is dealing with COVID-19 or if you've lost somebody, this may be pretty triggering. Um, even though it's not specifically COVID, it does deal with loss, but it also deals with hope and coming together and recovering from a large pandemic like COVID-19, similar to our own situation. So as always, let me know what you've been reading. Follow me on Goodreads, like and subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, all that jazz. Until next time, stay reading. Bye. Bye.